Good morning, afternoon, evening, and night. Welcome to the Travel Stories Podcast, where we bring you immersive, inspiring, and international travel stories from travelers around the world. Thanks for all your kind words about Hayden's travel tips. I know the name is a little uninventive, but uh, you guys seem to dig it. You know what? I dig it too. It's cool just turning on the mic and seeing what happens. In fact, speaking of which, I was at the UK Podcasters Conference. It was a live on video conference and it was 36 hours straight talking about podcasts, a different guest each hour. And the guy that did it stayed on the mic and on the video for 36 hours straight. No sleeping, no nothing. Mike Russell, you are a god. If you guys want to check it out, go to the Facebook page at UK Podcasters and you can see a little video of me talking about a podcast podcast launch. So yeah, that was fun. Today's guest is Dr. Paul Johnson. That's right, the first doctor on the show. He has a PhD in glaciology, which I mistakenly refer to as glaciology. Let's ignore that. Let's all agree. Should we agree? Let's ignore that. Awesome. So Paul can be found at a luxurytravelblog.com, which I mistakenly refer to as the luxurytravelblog.com. Yeah, I make mistakes sometimes. Come on, guys. (laughs) So Paul's story that he has for us today is a little different from the ones we usually have. It's not a love story. It's not a spiritual journey. It doesn't involve mushrooms of any kind, edible or otherwise. But he does paint such an awesome picture of Greenland, of glaciers, and it really, really puts you there. You guys are going to love this one. So let's get down to it. You're listening to the Travel Stories Podcast, and this is Dr. Paul Johnson. Hi, Paul. How's it going? Hi, Hayden. Very well, thank you. Awesome, awesome. Good to speak to you, man. And you, thank you. Whereabouts are you? You're in the UK, right? Uh, yes, I'm uh, based in uh, Cumbria, in the south of Cumbria, a town called Kendall, just on the edge of the Lake District. Kendall. Now, forgive me, I'm a terrible Englishman, but Cumbria, I don't think I know where that is. Uh, so, Cumbria is about an hour and a half north of Manchester. And Kendall's where Kendall Mint Cake comes from, which um, you might have heard of. It was taken. Oh, man, yeah. It was taken up the first successful ascent of Everest, so it's claim to fame is that. That's right. Yeah, oh, I love that stuff as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. You don't have um, you don't have much of a Northern English accent. Uh, I I grew up in um, near Manchester, but I went to school uh, a boarding school in um, Bristol Way, so I've. Not got an accent for that reason. Ah, that'll be it. I like it. The uh, we're we're similar in that way, having lost the accent of where we come from. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's cool. I like that. (laughs) So the luxury travel blog for those who enjoy the finer things in life. How did that come about? When did you start it? Uh, A luxury travel blog I started uh, just over ten years ago. Um, I I've worked in in tourism for about thirty years, and I was uh, a director of. An internet and, and still am an internet marketing company uh, that uh, specialises in promoting the tor- uh, tourism-related businesses. Uh, and whilst I was doing that work, I I saw blogging come along. So I, I, I've been blogging since the the early days, really. Uh, and I just decided to set up a blog in an area that that I had an interest in, and and that wasn't really being covered at the time. Mm. Hence. Uh, specializing in luxury travel most of the travel blogs there weren't many around at that time but the few that were were mostly uh first-hand accounts from backpackers and that kind of thing there wasn't really a a blog catering for the for the Mm. luxury 
travel industry. Yeah, it's funny. We had um, we had on Jackie Norse, who has a blog. The sorry, she has a podcast, The Budget Minded Traveler. And oh, so right. I think it's cool that we're we're having both ends of the spectrum here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, yeah. you you do see a lot of blogs um, online about how to cut costs when uh, when traveling, how to get the cheapest flights, how to get the you know cheapest hotels. But but yours seems to focus more on um, on not really not really caring about the the money side of it too much, but rather the experience and the uh, you know getting. I, I suppose getting getting the most out of your money, but more in a more in an experience type of way rather than watching the purse strings. Is that right? That's right. I I, I know a lot of people will will perceive luxury travel as being uh, expensive travel, which isn't necessarily the case. So, I mean, I would argue that even just being able to travel is is a luxury that's not afforded to many. But um, to me, luxury travel is is more about uh, service and and the experience that you have, rather than necessarily uh, a lavish hotel with gold taps or anything like that. So yes, it's, it is very much about the experiences and and the service that people people encounter when they uh, travel in luxury. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. So um, so how long have you travelled for? Has it been a while? Uh, I've been travelling. As long as I, I, I'm not uh, like some bloggers in that I'm a nomadic. I do have a home base, obviously in Cumbria, but I've been travelling since since a child. Really, we used to go on family holidays, mostly to to France every year. Uh, but I suppose my travels ventured further afield when I, I was in my teens. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. It's well, pretty similar for me actually. I mean, um, we, you go being in the European country, you do hit up places like France and and Spain, and even in the UK. I mean, we go up to Scotland. I used to live in Wales, and there's uh, there's you know Ireland, Northern Ireland, everywhere around that. Um, did you travel much around around the UK before you ventured ventured outwards? Yeah, we've we've done um, and and still do. We do a lot of trips around the UK. I've I've got children, and uh, they're. Uh, 11 and 10 now so whilst they've been younger we've done a lot of trips around uh, that are either short haul or around the uk so uh we've been uh done things like island hopping around uh the scottish isles on the western coast uh we went to uh ireland um during halloween time once actually um which was very interesting because they they certainly know how to celebrate halloween over <laughs> Oh, I bet probably second only to, you know, New York or, or exactly. Like yeah, that. I mean, they've got the American influence uh, upon them, so it was quite an interesting experience to say the least. And an island is a beautiful country. We we spent some time on on the west coast uh, near the Ring of Kerry and uh, a place called Kenmare. We were staying in. Oh yeah, and uh, is that the place? Because we were chatting before. Is that the place you told me about that story that happened in the restaurant? That's right. We um, we stayed in a. a hotel uh, just outside Kenmare, a luxury hotel. Um, and um, the tale I was telling you before was uh, th- there was quite a large group. There was uh, myself and my family, and we were with a, a PR lady with her family, and she had three children as well. So there, there was a table of about nine of us. Uh, and it was breakfast one morning. We were ordering uh, all sorts of different uh, cooked breakfast options. So there were omelettes and uh, full full english breakfast and all that or full irish breakfast rather um and uh the food eventually appeared and a couple of the omelets had uh had emerged and then the waitress came through and i'm i'm gonna do a very poor irish accent here i'm afraid but the waitress came through and with a plate in her hand and she said 
who ordered the turd omelette? <laughs> Man, I love that. <laughs> which uh, made everybody's face drop until they until they re- realized what she was talking about. So. Oh, that's great, man. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, the story you've got for us today, uh, whereabouts in the world does it take place? Uh, in, in the mid-1990s, I uh, spent quite a bit of time in, in Greenland. Um, uh, I... In a, in a former life, if you like, I was um, doing some research uh, for a PhD in glaciology, and that required me to, to go out to Greenland a couple of times and work out there on a, on a glacier. Nice. And because um, I always remember Greenland, icy, Iceland, greeny. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's a, a common misconception that uh, is the other way around. But mm. yeah, you've got, it, you've got it completely right. The, the coastline of Greenland if you hit it at the right time of the year, is is green, but obviously the core is is completely covered in ice. Yeah. So you're um you're a doctor, and is that in uh, glaciology? Did you say? In glaciology. Yeah. Glaciology. My my mistake. <laughs> I think and, people pronounce it in different ways, so I wouldn't worry. <laughs> ah, right. Good. Off the hook. I'm off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if you finally the final question, if you could give your story that you have for us today a name, what would you call it? Um, I'd probably go for glaciology in Greenland. Nice. I like it. Tells the story. Okay. You're listening to the Travel Stories podcast, and this is Dr. Paul Johnson with Glaciology in Greenland. Uh, In the mid-1990s, I had the opportunity to go to Greenland to further my studies at the time. I was doing a PhD in glaciology. If you're familiar with PhDs at all, one thing you'll know is that they tend to be very, very specific. In my case, I was uh, studying the very bottom of, of glaciers. I was looking at what they call the basal ice layer. Without going into too much detail, I was trying to assess how the debris got into into the base of the glacier. And the best way to, to look at something like this, this is either uh, through ice cores that are taken from the cent- center of ice sheets and ice caps. They drill right through down to the bottom and remove cores. Or the other way to do it is to look at the margin of glaciers, the edges of glaciers. It was the latter that I I went out to do. You can actually find quite good exposures of basal ice at the sides of glaciers and in particular in in caves underneath the glaciers. My supervisor of my PhD had studied in this particular area of Greenland, so that's what, what I went out to do. The glacier called the Russell Glacier, which is near a town called Kangalushwak in West Greenland, just above the Arctic Circle. I, being a student at the time, took the truly budget option of getting a going on a coach from all the way from London to Copenhagen. The time of year that we went was late August, early September, and it's it very deliberate that we went at that kind of time of year. Uh, if you go in the summer, Obviously, it's not as cold, but the midges are quite a problem. And uh, although it might not sound very consistent with me now being a luxury travel blogger, we were camping, so we had to be 
prepared for that and obviously if there's no midges it makes it much more much more palatable if you like <laughs> kangaloos right by the way has a population or it did at the time of about 250 in the summer and in the winter that drops to about 200 uh, with many of the residents deciding to to go to uh, often i believe to denmark uh, where maybe they've got family just to avoid the the winters in greenland uh, where it can be obviously it's it's pitch black 24 hours a day throughout the winter uh, and it's can be minus 40 minus 50 degrees centigrade so it's not very hospitable and it's just not an appealing place to be at, at that time of year so uh, to get to to the glacier it's about 20 kilometers i believe from kangalushwak so as you go from kangalushwak to uh, the glacier there's some things to look out for along the way one one notable noticeable place that you pass early on is what i believe is the world's northernmost 18 hole golf course which is i think they even have a, a tournament there each year And eventually you see the margin of the Greenland ice sheet. Now ice sheets, there are currently only two in the world, one of which is Antarctica, the Antarctic ice sheet, and the other is the Greenland ice sheet. One of my first days studying the glacier, we were walking along the margin. This was my first time on the glacier later that day. We were just at camp, probably just 800 meters, if that, from, from the margin of the glacier. And suddenly we heard this creaking and cracking and so on. Huge chunks of the glacier, uh, of the margin of the ice sheet, just started to, to carve and collapse. This was over the area where we had just been walking only hours earlier. We're talking blocks of ice the size of double-decker buses here. Had, had we still been there when that happened, well, it, it doesn't bear thinking about, we wouldn't have been around today. So very early on from uh, my time out there, I had the utmost respect for for the power of nature and for the power of the glacier. This is a glacier that on the face of it doesn't seem to be moving, but clearly it is. And uh, at, at that time, it was one of the few glaciers in the area that was actually advancing rather than retreating. Uh, one thing that, that you don't get, which you, you almost take for granted, by a place in the UK, a remote part of Scotland, say, um, you do hear sounds even when there's nobody about, and that's because you hear things such as the wind going through trees and so on. In Greenland, you don't have that, so you really do, if you, particularly if you're on your own or just with one other person and you're not talking, you really do have true silence. You don't even have wind passing through the leaves on the trees or whatever. Eventually, we made our way back to, to Kangalushwak. We, we also, when we were in Kangalushwak, because we had these mountain bikes, we were able to explore one or two other places. I remember cycling, I forget the distance, maybe about 10 miles to a, a tiny place called Kellyville. And as you approached it, it said, 
there was a sign that said Kellyville, uh, population four. Returning to Kangalishwak, if, you, if you're out there for a couple of months, you do start seeing the same faces again. And I can't say we, we got to know them because I didn't speak uh, Greenlandic and I don't think their English was fabulous, but we found them to be really, really friendly and inviting and warm people. I've not sadly been back to Greenland since since the mid-90s, but it is somewhere that I'd definitely like to return to, um, I'd like to take my kids to, um, as it really is a, an amazing country and one that I'd recommend that anybody goes to at least once. Fantastic. Thanks for that story, Paul. I've got a couple of questions. First one I really want to know is when the glacier broke apart and was falling around everywhere where you, where you were standing just a short time before, how, what were your first thoughts when that happened? How did, how did it make you feel? Um, well, I, I obviously knew um, from, from my studies that, that this, this occurrence happens with, with a reasonable degree of frequency. Um, so it, in that respect, it wasn't it wasn't a surprise. But seeing it in the flesh, so to speak, as I, I mean, I would have I would have seen uh, videos of it happening and so on. But seeing it in the flesh really brought it home and um, uh, brought home the power of nature and, and just how how much force there is in, in in anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be in glaciers, in in rivers or in the sea and so on. Uh, so it's it made me have a newfound respect i think for for the glacier mm, nice i like that a lot of what comes through with a lot of these stories is that respect for nature that when you're in it and something happens it, it's just an overwhelming feeling of wow i'm i'm pretty small exactly. <laughs> when it really comes down to it and you said in the story that uh, well at least for part of it you were in a land rover now i know that you do or have done some land rover expeditions is that right uh, that's right. I, I actually worked with uh, Land Rover a couple of years ago. Uh, I think every other year they they do a major ex expedition to uh, promote um, something new from their range. And a couple of years ago they did uh, a trip with three uh, hybrid uh, Range Rovers, uh, new Range Rovers, uh, Range Rover being part of part of Land Rover. Um, and they drove these these three prototypes. They, they were the only three of the kind in the world, uh, all the way from uh, Solihull in Birmingham in the UK uh, to Mumbai in India. Uh, I think the whole journey was something like 53 days. And they invited uh, journalists and bloggers and Instagrammers to join uh, various legs of the journey. And I... Uh, put my name forward when I was approached to do the leg from Kathmandu to Delhi, uh, which was 10 days essentially traveling right across Nepal uh, in these vehicles, which was an, an amazing experience, as you can imagine. Oh, I bet. The only, uh, I mean, I was on part of that journey, not in a Land Rover, but from northern India up in Rishikesh, Haridwar, that type of area, down to New Delhi. And I know how the roads can be. I mean, I was in a bus, but I know how the roads yeah. can be. I bet that was a lot of fun yeah. on Land Rover. Lots of potholes, as you can imagine. And uh, also a lot, so much to to negotiate um, from 
cows which you've got to be particularly careful with because of them being sacred and um, oh, yeah, yeah. to to buffalo to stray dogs to mopeds and motorbikes and <laughs> all sorts on the roads it was really oh it's quite, quite fun really to be honest yeah, we get uh, we get quite a lot of people asking about expeditions in Land Rovers and in you know Freelanders, everything like that. If you could give one tip to to people going on an expedition, maybe in a Land Rover or maybe just driving, um, kind of cross country, that type of thing. Uh, it, do you have any tips for them? Any any one you know? And remember ye this: <laughs> what's your golden rule? Uh, you call me out there. <laughs> 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 just, one thing that was uh, suggested to me before I went out, and it wouldn't be specific necessarily to a Land Rover expedition, but a trip of that nature, uh, was to take out um, some pencils and crayons and things like that for for the children that you come across. So um, before uh, before I went, I uh, made a point of going into places like IKEA, where you can often pick up free pencils and. Uh, uh, Ladbrokes and William Hill for your free little pens. <laughs> and they say you're not the budget traveller. Exactly. On. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I had quite a store in in, in my uh, luggage by the time I went out. And uh, uh, whenever we stopped, there would always be a, a crowd of people, often children that would come and just just be fascinated at, at seeing the vehicles and, and seeing what we were up to and always smiling from ear to ear. And it was just a lovely feeling to be able to give them things like that and really it seemed to really make their day sometimes and obviously it was it was useful to them as well so mm, that's um, fantastic i really love that it's uh, a lot better than bring a book <laughs> <laughs> so um finally one thing we we always say as travelers and we'll well i say we i mean me one thing i always say is uh, i'll quote rolf potts or i'll paraphrase uh, rolf potts which is if you're traveling in luxury then it's always good to maybe spend a day traveling uh, on a budget as a backpacker, stay in, you know, not the worst hostel, but stay in a hostel, get back down to roots. And the opposite is also true. So if you're traveling and you're backpacking, you're staying in the worst hostels, people are snoring all over the place and you want a night of relaxation. It's good to have that one day of luxury. You can afford it because it will it will pay off. Yeah. And that is why that I suggest to our travelers to check out uh, your blog over at a luxurytravelblog.com. Is that right? A luxurytravelblog.com? That's correct, yeah. Fantastic. So, Paul, thanks again for your story. Is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with? Well, uh, please drop by at a luxurytravelblog.com. We have stories going up pretty much every day. Um, so, there's always something new to read there. There's also a a mailing list you can sign up to and uh, be sent the best story, stories from the blog each month. Uh, there's always a competition every month as well to win some really great gear. Where at the moment we've got uh, a camera to, to give away and some other some other goodies, a, a tablet and so on. So uh, do sign up to the mailing list and um, do come come along and have a read. Fantastic. And uh, Paul is up at facebook.com slash luxury travel and Twitter is luxury underscore travel, right? Uh, two underscores, actually. Two underscores. Yeah, there were luxury travel and luxury underscore travel had already gone, so oh. it's two underscores. <laughs> <laughs> such is the way, such is the way. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks again, Paul. It's been great having you on and real interesting story. So thanks again for that. Thank you. All right, fantastic. Let's speak soon. Cheers, Aiden. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. 
Thanks again to Paul for his story, and thanks to you guys for joining us on his journey. Get in touch on Twitter at Travel Stories UK. Let me know what you think. If you enjoyed the show and you're on iTunes, please subscribe and leave a review. You guys are the best. Show notes for this episode can be found with the rest of them at TravelStoriesPodcast.com. And again, if you want to get in touch with me, I'm on Twitter at Travel Stories UK. This episode's question from me to you is Have you had any moments during travel that made you rethink life? And what were they? I want to know. Let me know. So thanks again. Join us next time for another immersive, inspiring, and international travel story. And remember, a traveler without observation is a bird without wings. Mm-hmm.